Hello and welcome to the Eco Chamber, brought to you by the team from the environmental policy magazine, The Ends Report. In this episode, we'll examine why a cheesemaker was hit with a £1.5 million fine. We'll look at the impact of industrial action at England's nature regulator. Then we'll examine how a new town development could put rare chalk streams at risk. Then, as we have become accustomed, Jamie will expose our ignorance quotient with a fiendish quiz of some kind. And after that, Jamie and I are going to take a deep dive into DEFRA and the Environment Agency's approach to tackling pollution from farms. So, without further ado, let's enter the Eco Chamber. I'm Rachel Salvage, Deputy Editor of The Ends Report, and I'm here, as usual, with Jamie Carpenter. Hello. And Tess Colley. Hello. Uh, First up, we're going to look at the big green news of the fortnight. Our first story is about the company Dairycrest, which is owned by a big Canadian firm called Saputo Dairy. Last week, it was fined £1.5 million for repeatedly breaching the environmental permit for its Davidstow Creamery in Camelford in Cornwall. Now, the Creamery is apparently the UK's largest dairy processing facility and one of the largest manufacturing sites in Europe, according to the Environment Agency. A few little fun facts about the site is that every year it produces 57,000 tonnes of dairy products. That includes Davidstow Cheddar and Cathedral City. Every day, around 1.3 million litres of milk is brought to the site from around 370 dairy farms. And every day, 1.2 million litres of treated process effluent is discharged into the upper reaches of the River Innie. Jamie, can you tell us a little bit more about what's happening here? So Dairycrest's really large fine followed repeated breaches of its environmental permit for the the Davidstoke Creamery. and this did seem to begin in 2016 after it significantly expanded its operations. Um, when, it, when it did so, the permit limits remained the same. The site's upgraded wastewater facilities could not cope with the extra levels of effluent that were being produced. And, and ultimately, the, the, the fine is because there was a lot of pollution. So over several years, the company dumped liquid waste, suspended solids and biological sludge into the River Innie, which raised its nutrient levels and killed trout and salmon. Um, and, and also smells coming from the, factory, from the factory led to residents complaining of headaches and stopped them leaving from their homes. And there was one incident where treated effluent containing a biocide called roside was released into a river, which killed hundreds of fish. Mm. So w- did they report the problem to the Environment Agency themselves or what, what happened? How did we find out about this, Tess? Um, well, when problems happened, the, the staff failed to actually inform uh, the Environment Agency immediately, which is, which is what they're meant to do when... Um, something goes wrong and I think that's that's also part of why the fine um, was as it is because that's kind of um, you know basic sort of thing you meant to do and when the judge was sentencing uh, Dairy Crest he said that he'd seen evidence of poor management culture at the company including senior middle management um, being you know responsible for these failings um, you know, talking about how those responsible for the management of the wastewater system felt intimidated and bullied. So mm. it's just not not a great place to to work. Um, and he, the company being negligent, he said, um, with various incidents falling within category two for harm. That's a that's a high category, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so yeah, when in deciding the sentence, he said. You know, he was treating Dairy Chris as a very large company because it turns over a huge amount, mm-hmm. uh, about 450 million turnover a year with 21 million profit in 2019-2020. Uh, um, so, yes, when you put it like that, I suppose 1.5 million doesn't, doesn't look massive. But in the context of the kind of fines that we tend to see, it's pretty big. Yeah. 
And it's good to see that they um, they were ordered to pay the Environment Agency's costs as well, which is great because that's one of the things that stops the Environment Agency, I think, I've been told, from pursuing prosecutions because they're so expensive, especially if they don't <laughs> if they don't win, um, but even when they do sometimes. Um, so how did Saputo Dara react to this? Are, are they holding their hands up, Jamie, or are they... Um, well, I guess they're pleading guilty, so they're holding their hands up to it, but what, how did they uh, kind of respond to the judge's decision? They, they've expressed their sincere apologies to... to those that have been affected by the problems and, and say that considerable work has been undertaken to rectify these these historic issues, they describe them as to which the prosecution related. Um, it's kind of interesting that the Environment Agency, however, says it remains deeply concerned about the performance of the dairy processing site, even after even after the, the fine and, and those assurances. Mm, because it's found more beaches this year, is that right? Yes, exactly, and I think I think there's there's also a kind of an interesting question around the the size of the fine. So, so as as, as Tess was saying, that it falls the, the size of the company falls into this very large company description, which mm. means that under the sentencing guidelines that, that judges judges use when deciding the size of these penalties, that it can actually it means that the judges can move outside suggested ranges. So actually, even though what Dairy Crest did was described as negligent that's actually a lower harm or, or less worse behavior than being reckless or deliberate which are worse and also it's a category two offense rather than category one so in that context 1.5 million actually is going a bit beyond what what the guidelines recommend but but we, we know that there's a, a feeling within the environment agency that that fines aren't high enough that's something that emma howard boyd has said repeatedly about the size of penalties she'd like to see people organizations find more um it's also interesting there was a Another fine earlier this month when Anglian Water was fined £60,000 for a sewage leak that killed more than 2,000 fish. Um, one, one interesting thing I thought was that in the statement um, the, the EA put out after that, the environment manager said that she was disappointed with the size of the penalty and that she thought that higher penalties would help deter polluters. Mm. So I think there is a question mark over whether the sentencing guidelines do need some kind of update. Mm. I think it, abs- it absolutely does for, for all the reasons that, that you've mentioned. If you if you think of the size of a company and their profits and then you think it's about £60,000, it's just a drop in the ocean, isn't it? It's just an operating cost and a lot cheaper than upgrading infrastructure, I imagine. I, it is <laughs> a, lot, uh, a lot cheaper than upgrading yeah. infrastructure. Um, well, let's hope that uh, Saputo or Dairy Crest managed to completely clean their act up very soon because um, I'm not sure how much more of this the fish are going to be able to take. Our next story is about the multiple problems being faced by staff at the beleaguered Natural England regulator, which has prompted industrial action. So regular listeners of the Eco Chamber, hello mum, will be familiar with the ongoing issues at the Nature Regulator, but it seems there could be some light at the end of the tunnel. But first, Tess, Natural England officers have been talking to you about their woes. Can you remind us about what's going on there? So back in January, um, the the trade union prospect who represents people uh, in Natural England, staff in Natural England, uh, started industrial action. Uh, and I spoke to some of the people um, who work in Natural England who, who were taking part in this industrial action. And they what they told me was the issue for them uh, is that low pay and a really like high workload uh, was just creating this terrible uh, kind of place to work, essentially. Some people told me they were having to take uh, second jobs, terrible, yeah, yeah. Um, and you had uh, some, you know, people, mi- middle-aged people, having to move back in with their parents because they just couldn't, couldn't kind of afford uh, to to buy anywhere or to to keep up with the rents, um, and it was all exacerbated by the fact that when they looked around at other kind of defra agencies, um, 
natural England did seem to be the poor cousin of mm. them all. Um, and so they were they taking industrial action, which um, short of strike, as it's termed, which basically meant, you know, they, they were only working to their contracts, uh, not doing any extra work outside of that, uh, generally retracting goodwill. Um, and from what they've told, you know, people have told me that people, the staff were constantly working over over and above. And so withdrawing that extra work would yeah. um, have a big impact. Would have a big impact, mm. yes. And it certainly seems to have had some impact because um, just as of last week, uh, Prospect have said they're ending their industrial action for now. For now. <laughs> for now. Yeah. Um, and what they, you know, they, they say they've achieved one of their key aims, which was to get the trade unions um, to be part of the teams on the staff framework review and pay reform projects. Um, and therefore, they're going to they're end the industrial action by the 30th of June, which is uh, this week. Um, what they do say, however, is that uh, because of the, the the pay regime imposed, you know, from the cabinet level, um, there's no, you know the actual staff won't actually see a change in pay this year, and so I think when they say that they've you know they've ended industrial action for now, uh, if there isn't an improvement to the, the structural pay system and overall <laughs> overall pay, then they you know they they wouldn't they're not ruling out industrial action in the future. So it's really refreshing to see progress because there have been similar problems at the Environment Agency, which we've talked about on the Eco Chamber and we've written about on Energy Report as well. Um, But you don't get the same sense that the leadership at the Environment Agency are willing to work with the staff. I mean, I could be wrong here, but we don't, you know... The natural England, they look like they're going to work together and see if they can sort something out, and the Environment Agency seems a bit more uh, Mm -hmm. hands-off. But it's so it's good to see that they're going to look for a conclusion together. So how long is this kind of retraction of industrial action going to last, do you think? Have they given them sort of a time limit? There's, 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 there's no time limit. Mm. Uh, well, I think they've accepted that there's not going to be an improvement in pay this year. Yes. Uh, so I suppose at least at least this year. Uh, but I, I imagine not in, in, by 2023 they'll be looking for improvements. Mm. Um, but that... that that's in prospects gift, I suppose, um, remains to be seen. But yes, you're right. I mean, for the people I've spoken to, there's a sense that, you know, the, the chair, Tony Juniper and Marion Spain, chief executive, there's a general sense that they're, you know, they're not terrible baddies in all of this and that they're kind of doing their best. That's sort of the, the tone I've had, but mm-hmm. it's, it's still not good enough because yeah. people, you know, you know, taking second jobs is unacceptable. Mm. Um, so there does definitely seem to be a difference in, from what I've heard and from what you've heard at the environment mm. agency. I think between us, we talked to a lot of people and I haven't had, heard much criticism at all, if any, of either um, Juniper or Spain. So that's, um, I guess that absence of criticism is a, is a, a quite a recommendation uh, as to their leadership. Let's hope naturally they can come up with a solution that gives the staff the support that they so badly need. Our final news story today is about a threat a new town in Cambridgeshire could pose to the health of the rare chalk streams that are found in the county. So in February, South Cambridgeshire Council approved plans for the 4,000 home penultimate phase of one of England's biggest new towns, which is called North Stow. 5,000 homes are already being created, as well as schools and sports facilities and so on. Um, but the entire development has been quite controversial for a number of reasons. Um, Woodland Trust was not happy about the loss of trees, but... More saliently, I think there's an ongoing concern about whether the additional demand for water that will be created as a result of the development will um, put more stress on what is already categorised as a water-stressed area. 
Um, the chalk streams in the area that are already suffering from over-abstraction, which just means that too much water is being taken out for public water supply and industry and so on, and some are already drying up, which is a huge tragedy. But a campaign group in the area has uh, launched legal action. Jamie, can you update us on that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so I think this is a really interesting story. We, we've talked on the podcast before about the the jaws of death, so James Bevan's jaws of death, so the the point of which demand for water exceeds to supply, and this is this is kind of a real life example of of that. So the the um, the kind of latest news is that there's a local campaign group, the Fuse Lane Consortium, who argue that the local council acted irrationally in allowing the um, the, the Quango Homes England, who is the developer of the town, to exclude the potential impact on Cambridge's chalk streams from an environmental impact assessment. Um, so, um, so basically, the, the the campaign group they say that according to a recent environment agency report, Cambridge Water needs to reduce its current levels of water abstraction by twenty two million litres a day hmm. to restore flow to the county's chalk streams. But, but um, obviously, building four thousand new homes would would increase abstraction, and, and which is already unsustainable by nearly two million litres a day. So they're they're kind of basically saying, how can you? <laughs> doesn't doesn't add up. No. So what's the council saying about this test? Are they um, putting in place any new measures that will help? Um, well, what they say on their website is that they 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 fully consulted. If I can summarise, um, you know, they talk about the the design and layout of the homes, the facilities, all being influenced by comments made during the public consultation, uh, and that you know the councillors discussed. I think they say it took nearly six hours debating uh, the details around drainage example and, and transport and this sort of thing um, and it was all subject to robust assessment following feedback from amongst others the environment agency um, so I suppose that's, that's them saying we've done what we needed to do but uh, it's interesting to see what, what the court makes of it. Mm, I'm going to, it's interesting to see how a consultation will <laughs> will create millions of litres of water um, that would be interesting to see but weren't there uh, also challenges against the um, the way the planning committee was potentially, um, quotes here, misdirected about a uh, decision to obtain further environmental information? Yes, but one of the grounds for judicial review um, is, is that the planning committee, the campaign group, say it was misdirected about a possible deferral of the decision to obtain to obtain further environmental information, um, which is quite interesting. But, you know, they, the other grounds are that they, the council failed to follow the water quality policy contained in its own development plan and um, that they, they argue that the council um, irrationally failed to require an environmental impact assessment mm. to address the issues of water supply. Yeah. So this means that they can go ahead with their judicial review? Yes, it will It will go ahead. There's, there's no. There's not a date yet for the, the uh, full hearing, but it's expected to take place at the, um, the Royal Courts of Justice later this year. So Northstow, which is going to be this huge new town in the kind of Oxford-Cambridge Arc area, is part of the government's wider strategy to tackle the housing crisis um, with a lot of new garden communities planned as well. Can you tell us a bit more about that, Jamie? Yeah, I can. So, so I mean, um, garden communities are are quite a um, significant part of the, the, the government's um, housing programme. Um, they, they've, they've kind of been around in various... Um, guises for for a while now. The, late, the latest iteration is is garden communities. That there's there's multi million pound funding pots up for grabs. I, th- I think the the intention is that there'll be sixteen thousand homes a year delivered through this mechanism by 
by 2025. So so it's quite significant. Um, these new settlements are, are a significant um, way of delivering new homes. Um, probably not all of them are going to have the same issues that Northstow does in terms of water stress. But but um, but nevertheless, the, these I think I think from from what we were seeing in Northstow and also the 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 issues that were, were, arose earlier this year around water neutrality and in the the southeast sort of in, in um Sussex North water zone um th- this is going to be a, an issue probably to watch over the next couple of years as 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 the jaws of death start to start to close and um start to bite start yeah. to bite yeah, that's yeah, probably a better yeah. way of saying it um, <laughs> <laughs> um i think this is going to be something that, that probably um people involved in development are going to have to get much more familiar with mm. thank you jamie so now it's quiz time jamie what have you got up your sleeve for me and tess I've got a really exciting topic for you today. I don't believe you somehow. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> it's um, it's retained EU law. Oh. So the reason I'm talking about this is um, because um, I, know, I know how you both love Jacob Rees-Mogg and I'm sure our listeners do do as well. Um, I've only got a few posters on my wall. Only a couple. <laughs> so he, last week he launched an online dashboard which lists 2,400 pieces of retained EU law that have being transferred to the the UK statute book, um, and and sort of following that, he then then invited members of the public yet again to um, to say which pieces of law they wanted to to repeal. And this is a bit what well, I think it's still a bit worrying. We're still searching for the upsides of Brexit, so um, maybe maybe people are coming up better examples than than Reece Mogg himself. I know he saw he was on on interviewed last week, and he um, he said that we'd we'd avoided extra costs on fish fingers due to Brexit, and um, oh God. and uh, he was also saying about scrapping funny numbers on the signs of the Dartford Tunnel was also yeah. be a benefit of Brexit. So it's really really great stuff. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> for the quiz, so it is actually it might sound boring, but it's it's quite quite a useful tool. Um, so what it does is it this this dashboard it lists. 2,418 retained laws across government departments and it categorises these as unchanged, amended, repealed or replaced. Um, so my, my first quiz question is, how many retained EU laws do you think are unchanged at the moment out of 2,400? Across all the departments? Yeah. Are unchanged out of 2,400? 1,800. 1500. Um, Rachel was actually quite close there. It was actually um, very close to 2000, just over 2000. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was a good, it was a good guess. And it's, yeah, lots so, so even how many years after the Brexit referendum? Like two, six, six years mm. and several years after all these, all these kind of laws started to be copied across, there's still a whole load of them are just sitting there unchanged. Mm. Um, I mean, what, one of the things that's, striking from looking at this is the is the proportion of these these laws that belong to defra so it's around a quarter of them so 570 which is i think that's a high i think we talked about this last last time and i think this is a higher number than has previously been been published mm. um so so two more two more quiz questions about about this so of defra's 570 retained eu laws, laws can you can you guess how many have been repealed so far not, not many. Yeah. Um, 65. I was going to say 70 for, to round. 63. Oh, my oh, God, wow. I'm on fire. Oh, <laughs> I'm not cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, and finally, how many have been amended? 
Mm. 80. 100. 70. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's because of all those resmog posters. That yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah got channeling resmog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, so, I think it's in, so I think it's definitely not, not just if you want to tell resmog what you want to want to want to scrap but one of one of the things that i think people are of the, of the view of is that it's, it's very hard at the moment to find information on where our rules are diverging on environmental protections yeah. after after brexit yeah. um i saw a, I, went, I watched a webinar a couple of weeks ago from the iep and that was one of the key messages from that these there's no kind of central resource where you can do that and i think i think um Although this 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 dashboard doesn't give you the full picture because it won't it won't tell you stuff like um, where the I suppose where the EU is moving forward with something and we're not changing where that's kind of divergence by by default or whatever the description is but but actually you can you can sort of get a sense of what what retaining your laws are and, and where things have where things have moved so it's definitely worth taking a look at. Hmm. Does it go does down as fine grained as statutory instruments or is it more broad brush than that? No, I think I think these are I think these are statutory. A lot of them are statutory mm, instruments, okay. um, and it does it does kind of break them down as well. So you can, as well as department, you can you can search by by things like you can search by environment, and you can I think sort of by industry as well. So mm. so it's right. kind of um, yeah quite, yeah worth checking out. A useful tool. Yes. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of the big green news section. Thank you, Jamie and Tess. We're going to be back in a fortnight's time. But if you can't wait that long, you could go to engreport.com for lots more on all of these issues. Next up is our deep dive section. In this episode, Jamie and I are looking at DEFRA and the Environment Agency's approach to tackling pollution from farms. So agricultural pollution creates the most problem for rivers, according to the Environment Agency. And part of this is a result of the manures and slurries that are spread onto farmland that then become a major source of nutrient pollution in the form of nitrogen and phosphorus. It runs off the fields into rivers, lakes and seas and it causes algal blooms, which go ahead and then starve the water of oxygen and suffocates any of the wildlife there. So this is all supposed to be controlled by DEFRA's farming rules for water, which were introduced in 2018. Uh, but Environment Agency Chair Sir James Bevan recently shot green groups by revealing that DEFRA had told the agency not to enforce them for two years while farmers got used to them. Uh, and to date, there have been no prosecutions under the rules, despite there being around 284 inspections finding breaches in the period from 2018 to November last year. But that's not all. There's been confusion surrounding the guidance uh, that underpins the rules too. Jamie, can you uh, give us the lowdown on that? Yeah, I mean, there's been there's been confusion around the guidance kind of going back almost to the start. Yeah. So um, initially, there was a, um, a, a, a confusion and, and, and row about muck spreading in, in autumn. So so um, farming industry had been concerned over the impact of environment agency guidance, which they felt appeared to indicate that spreading manure in the autumn was, was against the rules. Um, DEFRA later published statutory guidance, um, which clarified how those rules would be reapplied. And the whole the whole thing at the time was a bit messy. I think um, Sir James Bevan himself said that a regulatory position statement that had been issued by the EA had led to a period of controversy and confusion. And I think there's a, there was a farming representative of a select committee who described it all as a complete disaster in terms of communications <laughs> um, so that that was that was a kind of row over guidance yeah that's several the years context, ago yeah, the context yeah. but there's actually been more fun and games more more recently so um 
So the the, the kind of latest controversy was around, was around guidance that that had worried green groups because they they um, they they felt it directed the, the EA not to enforce a breach of rules in certain circumstances, including if a farm produced its own manures. And there's there's since been, I think, an amendment and a subsequent amendment, and um, there, there's a there's a bit of um, <laughs> I suppose debate is a is a polite way of putting it over, uh, as to whether those those amendments are significant changes or not. So mm. um, yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot to unpick. And I, th- I think um, like like we said before on the podcast, it's um, we we kind of almost see it as a badge of honour to appear in the defer in the media blog. <laughs> um, I suppose it shows that someone's reading what we we put out. But um, um, yeah, but th- th- here we are. We're on on the blog again. <laughs> We are we're on the blog again. So Salmon and Trout Conservation said that, you know, they, well, they did. They threatened DEFRA with uh, judicial review if, uh, unless they changed this guidance to remove a loophole that would have allowed the Environment Agency not to enforce the rules if farm under certain circumstances. Um, so we, you know, we contacted everybody, wrote the story, and then DEFRA, one on its blog, was saying, well, they, actually, those changes don't make any difference whatsoever. But even so, the farming community, you know, whether you believe that or not or agree with that or not, the farming community isn't happy about the U-turn. Um, the deputy president of the NFU, the National Farmers Union, Tom Bradshaw, told us that he was disappointed that less than three months after it was published, part of the guidance had been amended to seemingly prevent some farmers applying organic manures to certain fields. That was his take at the time. Um, he said that the change had been made without consultation with the farming industry and that he was going to speak to DEFRA to seek further clarification, which sounds ominous. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we need to just like, wait and see what, what happens with that. Um, obviously, it's a really contentious area. Green groups are watching it. We're watching it. The farmers are watching it. So we'll have to see what, what, what happens. But in relation to the guidance, and slightly separately to this, is because it's all about farm pollution, it's about manures again. The Environment Agency decided that intensive poultry and pig farms will not have to report their nitrogen and phosphorus emissions from livestock manures for two years while it develops tools and, and guidance and things to help farmers calculate them. Um, which, given that it's one of the biggest issues facing rivers at the moment, it doesn't seem no, sensible. No, no, I mean, the, the, the um, yeah, as, as, as you'd expect, green, green groups are um, very uh, upset about that. I think um, salmon trout conservation say it's a, another sign of the sad drift within the environment agency towards inaction on, on so many fronts. Um, and as, as you say, I mean, I think I think the the, the river Y is getting. Um, mm. Load of attention at the moment, and that that's um, the 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 kind of impact of intensive poultry in 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 its catchment is absolutely huge and it's being um, battered, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's um, it doesn't seem to make sense. Mm. I think um, the Wildlife Trust has said that they, it seems really, really bizarre, and they and they don't really understand why it's happening. Although they said a brief pause while the methods are refined could be understandable, but two years without oversight would be simply unacceptable. Um, and it, it seems to be part of this move away. I mean, it appears to be part of a move away from traditional enforcement. Um, Rebecca Powell uh, put in a letter to, I think, one of the councils, I think it was Herefordshire Council, that they're going to move away in terms of agricultural regulation from um, what she called bureaucratic top-down um, approach to a more advice-led approach. Um, but within that sort of framework... They're going to review the nitrate pollution prevention rules, the water resources, silage, slurry, and agricultural rules, um, the farming rules of water, and, and a whole raft of them, um, which 
maybe that's a good thing and maybe advice led is better, but it does seem that, you know, they're very fond of carrots and, and they've just abandoned the sticks. Yeah, I think so. And I, th- I think, I think the, the, the thing you mentioned earlier around um, Sir James Bevan talking about the, the, the fact that the, the rule's not being enforced for the first couple of years because the government um, asked us asked us not to re- enforce the rules. I mean, it kind of it kind of sounds sort of shocking on the face of it. Being open-minded about it, you could, you could think, well, it may, maybe it is sensible to work with farmers through advice and guidance to help them get used to the rules initially. But 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 the fact that sort of a couple of years on from that that first couple of years that nothing no prosecutions have been made mm. is um, it doesn't doesn't seem seem right. And I think I think we, we, I mean we're talking about the um, dairy crest fine earlier and and I, th- I think even even when there are fines there is there's questions over whether or not those are enough to make people sit up and take notice mm. um and and there's this whole issue around reputational damage for firms so i think one, one of the one of the the things that river action the campaign group has been doing that they're, they're very interested in in sort of pollution from farms particularly in the in the y area again is, is trying to kind of create a negative publicity around the, these firms that are polluting and 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 that then having possibly an impact on whether they're how how able they are to get investment and that sort of stuff. So I think there's um, there's, there's probably other other levers that can be pulled that aren't being pulled at the moment. Yeah, I mean they're definitely taking the name and shame approach, which I think is you know one of a bag of tools which would have potentially potentially required. Um, Katie White, who's uh, executive director of advocacy and campaigns at WWF, said that it's you know it's really you know critical to get a grip on nitrogen and, and phosphorus pollution especially those producing livestock at an industrial scale and there are thousands of these intensive units mm. um i think in england there's there's well over a thousand of them and to be deemed an intensive unit you have to have at least 40,000 poultry um and a lot of those won't be counted because they might have 39,000 so it's going to be you know and a lot of those that are will have a lot more than 40,000 so god knows how many chickens there are in in those particular catchments for its part defra has said that it's got clear and ambitious objectives for improving water quality and that it's expanding enforcement capacity it's improving its farm regulatory system implementing land management schemes and increasing the availability of advice services to farmers to ensure they're aiding this aim um, we know that they've hired new farm inspectors because I think there was that stat, I think we've mentioned it before, that a farm was likely to get an inspection once every 200 or so years uh, under under the previous approach. So they've hired more farm inspectors, but they don't have uh, any regulatory powers to enforce. So these are going to be advice-led uh, people too. One NGO recently described all these moves together as being part of this strange picture of progressive promises and potentially payments while pulling out the regulatory rug. I think that's something that a lot of people in the in the green sector are thinking at the moment and will be watching this closely. So that brings us to the end of our deep dive section. It's about this time that we usually hand over to the Chemical Brothers, but one of the brothers has managed to escape, leaving just one Simon Pickstone shackled to the radiator. I mean, busy at his desk, I mean. But fear not, we have exciting news. In the next episode of the Eco Chamber, we're going to trial a new pairing, and I've little doubt they'll be every bit as fascinating and worrying, to be honest, as the Chemical Brothers were. So that's something to look forward to you. I know I am. Are you looking forward to that, Jamie? I can't wait. I know. Jamie's literally on the edge of his seat. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Eco Chamber. Thank you to Jamie Carpenter and to Tess Colley. If you're interested in hearing more about any of the stories we've been discussing today, please go to endsreport.com where there is an endless supply of this stuff. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and we will see you next time.